to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. While the ushers are busy doing that, I'm just going to be sharing with you something that the Lord has really laid on my heart. Pastor Fred was sharing in the video that we watched just now that um, every member is a minister. He was talking about the priesthood of all believers. And it comes from a, a passage primarily. Not, actually, it comes from quite a few passages in the Bible. It's not something just a, that a, just appears once in Scripture. It appears many places not only in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament as well. God's dream, if you go and read Exodus, has always been for Israel, his people, to be a kingdom of priests. Not just that there be certain group of priests, the Levites in Israel, but that the whole nation be priests ministering. And, and, and that is his, his heart. It was never totally fulfilled for Israel, but it's his heart for us, his church. And it comes uh, especially from a scripture like Ephesians 4, verse 1 to 13. Now, I'm, I actually just want to read that whole passage. Um, so those of you who have your Bibles, you're welcome to open at Ephesians 4. I just want to read from verse 1, just to give you a bit of context. If you don't have your Bible, it's fine. You can just sit and listen and, and just receive the word of the Lord. Uh, it says, Ephesians 4, verse 1, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace has been given or was given to each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. I just want to interrupt myself there. Notice that sentence starts with the word but. So he's talking about the amazing unit we have. One body, one spirit, one faith, one hope, one calling. In the one Lord, the one God, the one spirit. And yet, despite that amazing fundamental unity, he says, but there's a beautiful diversity of grace within that amazing unity. The grace of the gifts that God has given to, to us. He says, therefore it says in verse 8, <clears throat> when he ascended on a high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he, he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is also the one uh, who ascended far above all the heavens, and he, that he uh, might fill all things. And then the, the, the section I specifically want to focus on from verse 11. And he, that's the one who descended and then ascended, Jesus. He, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of, of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by, craft, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Um, and in that, especially verse 12, where it says that the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors and teachers are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Scriptures like that is what Martin Luther looked to and said, but in the Catholic Church, you have the priests in the church. 
And, and only certain clergy are priests, and they minister, and they're the only ones who may minister. And the Bible is in, in Greek and Latin, which the, the common folk in the pews cannot speak or read, so that they are incapable of ministering, so that the priests have a monopoly on ministry. And, and Martin Luther and the Reformers read scriptures like this and said, it should not be so. Every member should be a minister. It's the priesthood of all believers. It's not like you have certain priests in the church. It's not like I am a priest because I'm preaching. Yes, I am a priest, but so are you if you're a Christian, if you're part of the body of Christ. You are also a priest as much as I am. You also can and should minister as much as I do and as much as anyone else does. And in the, in the 70s and 80s, there was this, this movement uh, called the, the cell church movement. Uh, or, um, where, where, where churches said, okay, it's not good enough for us just to meet in, in large groups like we're doing this morning. We should also meet in smaller groups like we do usually on Wednesday evenings. So that every member is a minister is not just a theory or a good idea, but so that there's room for every member to minister. And Ralph Neighbor was the guy who coins this phrase, every member is a minister. And we really believe that. Paul is talking here about the body of Christ. Now when you have a body and some part of the body like the heart, or the lungs, or the kidneys, or the legs aren't pulling their weight, then the whole body is in trouble, Right? It's not like, oh, 80% of my body is working fine. The rest I shut down. But I'm all right, you know. I'm, 80% is a good number, right? <laughs> if 20% of your body is not working, you're in trouble. And it's the same with the church. We're a body. The whole body must work. You have no idea how essential your function and your gifting is. And some of you are sitting there now, now and saying, yeah, I know you're speaking to most of the other people, you know, they these mature, gifted Christians, but, but not me. I'm, I'm still very immature. I'm still very young. I'm, I'm not that gifted or this. And we can come up with all kinds of excuses, you know. And the spleen might say, you know, I'm not that important, you know. You know, or, or, or the... the, the, the um, the kidneys or, or, or whatever. The thyroid gland might say, no, I'm just the thyroid, you know. <laughs> you know, I'm not the heart or the lungs, you know, I'm just the thyroid. You know, if I don't work, you know, if I don't work that well, it's, it's you know, no one's really going to miss me. We are going to miss you. you. We do miss you. <laughs> right? Don't think that what you have to offer, your function in the body is not important. It's essential. There are no non-essential body parts in the kingdom of God, in the body of Christ. Okay? So we say every member is a minister, but I, I want to I just challenge us on that. Do we really believe it? Do we really believe it? <clears throat> I mean, we are notorious and as human beings. I mean, I'm not only talking as Christians. As Christians also, but as human beings in general. We are notorious... Of, we are notorious for confessing the right things and saying that we believe the right things, but then when you look at our lives, actually it reveals that we don't believe the right things. So you, you get your, your explicit beliefs, what you say you believe, what you confess, and usually it's saying the right thing because you know it's the right thing to say. But then you also get your implicit beliefs, what your life and your behavior be, reveals about what you really believe and your implicit beliefs are your true beliefs so i want to challenge us as shofar Joburg, do we really believe that every member is a minister i'm not talking about saying the right thing because we know it's the right thing to say and believe but i'm talking about do our beliefs do, do our behavior our, our behaviors and our does our lifestyle reveal that we truly believe that if people looked at how we live from a day-to-day -day basis as God's church here in Joburg, would they be able to look at us and say, these people believe that every member is a minister? Would they be able to derive that belief from our behavior if we didn't say it out loud? 
Honestly, sometimes I wonder. Sometimes maybe some of us believe it more than others. So, I, I recently read a book called Wiki Church, which I, I really enjoyed by a guy called uh, Steve Murrell. And um, I'm just going to break down um, that, those three verses, Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 13, and, and I'm just going to sort of give the headings that he gives, and, he, and each one of them starts with an M. So, if you can just uh, start with the next one, yeah, just, just like that. It's, it, it starts off and it says in verse 11, And he, that's Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, just um, stopping there, um, that, that's what is popularly called the fivefold ministry by, by many people. Um, sort of uh, describing, you know, people in church leadership or in, in specific offices. And these are gifts, but the interesting thing compared to, say, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12 is that these gifts are actually people. Okay. These, these five groups of people, evan- uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And how you can easily remember them is that the teachers like the pinky. You know, you can, you can reach into those small, hard-to-reach places and, and, and draw out the small, you know, truths or errors and, and correct them. The, the pastor or the shepherd is like the, the ring finger, you know, the finger you put your, your ring on, which, which indicates covenant. So he's like the, the guy who's like really focused on relationship and, and making sure that relationship happens, you know, properly and, and that the, the sheep are taken care of. The, the, the evangelist is like the middle finger. It's the longest one. Because he's, he's like the, the guy who, who, who's encouraging everyone to reach out and encouraging every Christian and saying that we must go out. You know, and, 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 and it, it's not enough for us to be like a, a groaning toenail. You know, we need to get other people saved. We need to, there, there are people who need to have this hope that we have, who need to hear about this hope that we have, you know, the evangelist. And then the prophet is like the index finger, you know, thus saith the Lord. You know? <laughs> and then the. A pastel is, is like the thumb. The thumb can touch all the other fingers because it can, it, it func- the, the apostle functions as a teacher, as a pastor, as an evangelist, as a prophet. You know. So th- that's an oversimplification, but it's one way of remembering sort of just a little bit about what the fivefold ministry is about. And Steve Murrell, you can just uh, go down one, one, one step. He says it's mentors. These are the mentors. Now, he uses the word mentor. I'm, I'm not particularly fond of the word mentor, but he uses the word mentor because it starts with an M and his other words are also going to start with an M. So he, he says, these are the mentors. Um, and then he says, in, then it says in verse 12, these are given, these mentors are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. To equip the saints. And then and, and Paul says two things that both start with a four. So he's saying the same thing twice, just in different words. It's called parallelism. So where the, the first list of the five offices was a list, you know, adding to one another. It wasn't synonymous. This, you know, two things. For the work of the ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ is, is the same thing. What is the work of the ministry? It's the building up of the body of Christ. It's, it's, it's ministering. And the word ministry literally means service, by the way. Serving. It's in, in the Greek, that is literally the word. It, it's, it's works of service. And you'll see some translations translated that way. Works of ministry or works of service to build up the body of Christ. And, and, and we're talking in, in this series about God's building. How does God build? God builds through me and you. Through us, the saints, when we do the work of the ministry and build up the body of Christ. That's how God builds in this world. He builds through us. Right? So the, the work of the ministry is the, um, the building up of the body of Christ. So, so mentors, the, verse 11 and verse 12, is the ministry. And then in verse 13, it says, um, you can just bring that up quickly, until, so, so in the beginning of verse 12, it says these, these fivefold ministry, the mentors are given to, so the goal of the mentors is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's their goal. And, and then in verse 13, it starts with until. In others, uh, uh, sorry, Verse 12 is two, so it's the purpose. The purpose of, of the mentors is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And the goal is until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is once again, all three times, saying the same thing over and over. There's a unity of faith and knowledge that you attain to. 
That is what maturity is. And then he describes, he says, it's the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So mature Christian, how does a mature Christian look? Like Jesus. That should keep us humble, right? You know when we get proud and arrogant is when we measure ourselves against each other. But when we use the right measure that he mentions there in verse 13, when we measure ourselves against Christ, it pretty much keeps us humble. You're guaranteed to stay humble when you measure yourself against Jesus. Because he's perfect. And and he calls that maturity. Okay, so the mentors in verse 11, the ministry in verse 12, and the maturity in verse 13. Now I I just want to go through three common misconceptions or myths about this verse and that this verse actually challenged. And, And these are surprisingly commonplace myths. The first myth is the qualification myth. Okay? Now I'm going to use a a bit of an exercise analogy for all of these. Now often, and I've heard, and I've probably said this myself, and I've definitely heard other people say this, you know, um, I'd like to start exercising, but I'm not fit enough yet. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever said that? (laughs) What's wrong with that statement? What's wrong with that logic? In fact, turn, turn to the person next to you and just quickly discuss with them what's wrong with that statement. I'd like to start exercising, but I'm not fit enough yet. If you just go to the next slide. Um, so it says, verse 11, he gave the mentors. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Verse 13, until we attain maturity. That's the sort of paraphrased summary of this. Now, The problem with that statement, I'd like to start exercising, but I'm not fit enough yet. In terms of the context of this verse, Steve Murrell says, the problem is we can't count. We count wrong. Most people count 11, 12, 13. But so often we count 11, 13, 12. We say the mentors are given... To bring us to maturity so that we can start ministering. Can you see that we often think that? Can you see that our ministry and what our expectation often communicates that message? Oh, you must, you must receive input until you mature enough and then you can start ministering. And that Paul says that's wrong. That's wrong. That's so wrong. It's not, 11, 12, it's not 11, 13, 12, it's 11, 12, 13. The mentors are given to equip us to do ministry so that we can come to maturity. And you cannot, according to that verse, you cannot reach maturity without doing ministry any more than you can reach fitness without doing exercise. Can you see that? I know this is a big mind shift for us. And it, 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 I must be honest, it was a big mind shift for me. It was a bit of a paradigm shift for me. You know, I had that paradigm of, no, 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 you must first have, you know, you must first be mature and then you can minister. If I had to be very honest with myself. But then when you just, you know, apart from looking at that verse and the fact that this verse contradicts it, I mean, just thinking about it logically. You know, if you say, okay, you must be mature before you can minister, how mature do you need to be? What's entry level? When do you qualify? But apart from just that you know, problem, the reality is that this verse contradicts it. So do we believe that every member is a minister? Or do we secretly, really, actually, only believe that every mature member is a minister? I think often we believe the second one. I think often our actions, our behavior reveals what we really believe. And we don't believe that every member is a minister. Sometimes we often really believe that every mature member is a minister. Can you see the difference? It's a vast difference. It's a massive difference. If you say every mature member is a minister, and you must first reach maturity before you can minister, that's the qualification, the entry level. Then what you are doing is you're creating a spiritual elite. 
You're doing the same thing that the church did in the dark ages and saying certain Christians are priests and they may minister and no one else may. No one else qualifies. Every member is a minister. What that means is just like you are born fully human, you are born again fully Christian. Can you, can you see that? My, my, my son Justin is five years old now, but when he was born, he was fully human. Yes, he wasn't the fully developed human, but he was already fully human. Everything that he needed was already there. It just needed to grow and develop and expand. And granted, there are certain areas of his body that were so underdeveloped that he couldn't use them. I mean, his reproductive system was, you know, not quite... You know, mature yet, if I can put it that way. <laughs> he was not ready to get married and procreate yet. <laughs> He's still not. <laughs> so, in the same way, obviously there are certain types of ministry that, you know, a young Christian, a baby Christian, someone who's just gotten born again a, a week or two ago, will, will maybe not be capable of yet. But that doesn't mean that that newborn Christian is not capable of some form of ministry. And thankfully God has um, built it into children. You know, all children get to a place where they say, I want to do it myself. All parents know that, you know. And, and, and that's a good thing. They wouldn't grow to maturity unless that thing were there. Unless that instinct of I want to do it myself were there. That, is, that causes them to do it themselves and that's how they grow to maturity. They don't first wait to grow to maturity before they start doing it themselves. Otherwise, they'll never reach maturity. Now, you might say to me, but anyhow, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. What you're saying here is risky. What you're saying here is going to be messy. It's going to make for messy ministry. And you know what? You're exactly right. It is messy. But guess what? Life is messy. Raising children is messy. If you're going to allow them to do things themselves, it's messy. Especially in the beginning. It's not going to be perfect. It means that all ministry that happens in the church is going to be messy and it's not going to be perfect. But remember that verse I read in about verse 7 about but... The grace of God, the grace of Christ. Grace was given to each one of us. You know, by saying you must first be mature before you can minister, we are actually saying you must wait until you no longer need God's grace before you can minister. It's imperfect ministry that needs grace. Otherwise, it wouldn't need grace. The church doesn't work Unless ministry is messy. The church doesn't work and it doesn't glorify God unless we need His grace to do it. Unless we cannot do it ourselves. Only ministry by grace glorifies God. If you're ministering apart from it, that's what 1 Peter 4 says. I'm going to read it now. But verse 10 and 11, just go and read it at home. It says, if, if God, it's only if God provides the strength and the grace that He gets the glory. Unless it's ministry by His grace, He does not receive any glory from it. So in order to glorify God, the church has to, is compelled to do imperfect ministry. Through imperfect people, through immature people who are not yet ready, yet ready to do it. Right? That means that we may need to make a, a, a massive fundamental mind shift in our thinking and our approach to ministry. Do you realize that? Do you realize how radical this really is? But as Tim Keller says, anything worth doing is worth doing imperfectly the first time. Think about that. Don't, don't, don't miss the, how profound this is. Anything worth doing is worth doing imperfectly the first time. How else are you going to learn to do it? I want to take that further and say, anything that everyone has to do is worth doing imperfectly the first time or to begin with. 
In other words, if it's something that everyone has to do, like disciple making or ministry, because every member is a minister, if it's something that everyone has to do, then we have to make peace that you'll have to do it imperfectly to begin with. And probably never do it completely perfectly in any case. No matter how proficient you become at it with time. We must make that mind shift in order to get to a place where we do ministry in a way that needs God. I need you, Lord. I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, I need you. We need to live and minister in a way that says, I need you, God. Everything, anything worth doing is worth doing imperfectly the first time. So, um, the mind shift that that requires is, is, is a mind shift that most parents are forced to make. It's, it's, a, it's a, a mind shift from, you know, leadership is getting things done right to leadership is getting things done through other people. Right? Because if you just want to get things done right, it's easier to do it yourself. No, you know, you're not going to delegate it to your children. You're not going to say, well, Kirsten, you make the tea now. I mean, you just imagine it, you know, out of the goodness of their hearts, my, my two little kids, uh, actually I have three now, the one still doesn't have a name in the... <laughs> In the mother's womb still. But um, say Justin and Kirsten decide they want to, they love mommy and daddy so much, they're going to get up early tomorrow morning and they're going to make us tea. They're going to make us coffee in bed, you know. I, I, I should probably expect, you know, okay, they'll, they'll bring the coffee and, you know, maybe on a tray if they fancy, but probably my kids won't even do that. I mean, we, we don't stand on ceremony much in our house, you know, so... You know, trays and, you know, stuff, you know, it doesn't really happen that much. But they'll probably bring the cups, you know, and, and they'll probably spill along the way. So there'll probably be wet marks down the corridor and into our bedroom, you know, spill, coffee spill, spills and stains everywhere. And then we'll get in, we drink it, and then we'll probably go to the kitchen. We'll find a massive mess with sugar all over the place and, 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 and coffee powder mixed with, with water that had been spilled. And it'll probably be a big mess. And it'll probably be more work for us receiving the coffee and tea from them than if we had made it ourselves. It'll be more work. But that doesn't mean it's not worthwhile. In other words, if we want biblical ministry, biblical discipleship, we're going to have to make peace with that messiness that comes with creating room for imperfect people, immature people, to do ministry that is messy. And they're going to get it wrong, just like our kids get it wrong. Can you see how this is essential to biblical ministry? And, and then the challenge is, you know, for every parent, do you punish the failures? Do you punish them because they failed and made a mess? Or do you celebrate them because they tried? And this has a lot to do with our view of God. Do we see God as a God, you know, with a, a you know, old man, you know, with a big stick sitting up in heaven watching us to try and catch us do something wrong so that he can punish us? Or do we see God as a good, good father sitting up in heaven who's pleased with us and he's watching us? Not to catch us doing something wrong so he can punish us, but to catch us doing something right so he can celebrate us and reward us. And if you're a good parent, that's what you do. Don't say to your kid, you know, after he gave one or two steps, oh, you lousy kid, can't even walk properly, you know. What's wrong with you? Just gave two steps and you fell down. You say, wow, you gave two steps, amazing, you're the man. High five, baby five. <laughs> You don't punish the failures, you reward the successes. Because that's what God does with us as his children. Because we, that's how we learn. We learn by failing. We learn to walk by falling, people. We learn to minister by getting it wrong. By failing 
And through that learning. It's messy, yes, but it's the only way. It's the only way every member can be a minister. It's the only way every disciple can make disciples. And here, every disciple should make disciples. It's part of the DNA of discipleship is to make disciples, right? And that means we must be a community of gospel grace. We are constantly extending grace to one another. And not, you know, criticizing and condemning one another for failure. Obviously, there's room for correcting one another. I'm not saying there isn't. You know, I correct my children a lot. But I know when to correct and when to just say, okay, you failed spectacularly, but at least you tried. You know, and, and at least just celebrating the attempt. I know when to do that. It's better to fail at doing something than to succeed at doing nothing. Hear me now. We know this as parents, but we need to know this as disciple makers and as people in the kingdom of God. It's better to fail at doing something than it is better to fail at doing something than to succeed at doing nothing. Isn't that so? <clears throat> now, th- this applies to parenting, to ministry. It applies to leadership in general. You know, it's always a risk. Now, the challenge for us in our culture is we live in a Western culture, and especially here in Joburg, where there's a lot of money flying around. People have lots of money to pay for stuff, but then they expect, you know. I'm the customer, the customer is always right. In other words, there's a consumer mentality. It's so easy for us to become consumer Christians. And the challenge we have to, to, to face is, are we consumer Christians expecting perfect entertainment? Or are we disciples expecting imperfect engagement? In other words, do we value performance more than participation? Do we value excellence more than participation? Our consumer culture drives us in that direction. And so many people come to church and what they want is a good performance. Oh, the band must perform well. And praise God, you know, Adeki and the guys are awesome and and I love the worship. Um... It might, uh, you know, just by the way, that, that lets me think of an example. You know, I'm so proud of, of Wesley Gething because I remember when he came in, he, he learned, because we need drummers, you know. He came and he, and he was learning drumming. And he was already playing in the band when, you know, his skill wasn't quite there yet, you know. And he wasn't always so tight. But I'm so proud of him, you know. Because as he prayed, played in the band, he went for, for lessons. Yeah. He got himself a drum kit. He played on those drums until the neighbors complained. <laughs> and they sent the police to come and shut him up. <laughs> and he bugged Arki and said, Arki, every, you know, when, when, you can ask Arki, you know, when he, when he does the, the, the Google, you know, um, spreadsheet, you know, for, for, you know, to put down your name for when you're available to play in the band. Wesley's name is on every week. <laughs> I love that. Wesley's got it. He says, I'm not perfect, but I want to minister because I realize that maturity is not, or or ministry is not the result of maturity. Ministry is the road to maturity. You, You get that? And that's a mind shift I had to make as well because I was also sitting with this misconception. Ministry is not the result of maturity. It's the road to maturity. If you say, I'm not going to, you know, I'd like to exercise, but I'm, I'm not fit enough yet, you'll never get fit. If you say, I'd, I'd like to minister, but I'm not mature enough yet, you'll never get mature. So ministry is, the result, is not uh, the result of ma- maturity. It's the road to maturity. That's the first misconception that this scripture addresses. And it's a big one. People, if we get this one, if we get this one, things are going to change. 
It means that we really are a family. And there's room to make mistakes. And there's a good, good father who will, like Sinead said, discipline us and correct us. But in love. And we shouldn't be afraid of making mistakes. We should be afraid of not trying. And we should not, we should not just celebrate success, in other words. We should celebrate people trying and failing. And then that's up to us. And I'm not just talking about us as pastors. I'm talking about all of us as leaders, whether it be small group leaders or ministry leaders or so. It means that we must make that mind shift and say, okay, yes, so-and-so failed. But at least they tried. And on the one hand, we celebrate them trying and encourage them. And on the other hand, we also say, but you know, learn from this. Grow from this. So that, because that's how you grow in maturity. So the second misconception or the second common of the three common myths is the outsourcing myth. You can just bring up that picture there. I wish I could outsource my exercise. (laughs) I wish I could outsource my exercise. You know, so many of us probably think that, you know. You know. If, if I could just pay someone to do it for me, you know, <laughs> go to gym or go jogging, you know, and then I lose the weight. They do the exercise, I lose the weight. <laughs> or they do the exercise, I get fit. <laughs> it doesn't work that. You cannot outsource the things you need to do for personal growth. You cannot outsource the things you need to do for personal growth. So just bring up the next slide. It says, uh, Jesus gave the mentors to equip the saints for the work of ministry until we all attain to maturity. Often, especially in the modern culture, especially in the mega church culture that we live in with superstar pastors and you know um, celebrity pastors and ministers and stuff, there's this idea, you know, if, if we had to sort of quote that scripture, we'd, we'd quote it, the, the apostles and stuff, the mentors are given to do the work of the ministry. Until we all come to maturity. It's not what it says. The mentors aren't given to do the work of the ministry. They're given to equip the saints. So that the saints can do the work of the ministry. But in so many churches, effectively ministry gets outsourced to the mentors. To the pastors and to the evangelists and to the whatever. You know, I I don't do evangelism because I'm not an evangelist. Well, I've got news for you. Evangelists are not people who do evangelism. Evangelists are people who train the saints to do evangelism. Who equip the saints to do evangelism. Prophets are not people who prophesy. Prophets are people who equip the saints to prophesy. Teachers are not just people who teach. Everyone has to teach. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Teaching them. To obey everything that I've commanded. You cannot make disciples without teaching. Oh, but I'm not a teacher, so I don't teach. No. If you're a disciple maker, you have to teach. Otherwise, you cannot make disciples. A teacher is not someone who teaches. A teacher is someone who equips the saints to teach so that they can make disciples. Can you see that? You cannot outsource your ministry. You cannot stand on judgment day and when they say... uh, (laughs) Uh, Lord, I know you called me to uh, make disciples of so many people uh, and, and so on, but, but I paid Pastor Henny, I helped pay Pastor Henny and, and Pastor Ian George's salaries, and they did it for me. <laughs> See all the disciples, you know. <laughs> you cannot outsource your ministry. Just like, you cannot outsource your ministry any more than you can outsource your exercise. The mentors don't do the work of the ministry. The members do. And, and here I want you to see in that verse, it says, especially verse 12, it says that he gave the mentors to equip the saints. Now, now, you know, all of us are saints, right? Even the mentors are saints. It, it says uh, in verse 13, until we all attain to maturity. Who's the we all? The saints. We all are the saints. An apostle is also a saint first. So it's not like the apostles only equip and they don't receive any ministry. The apostle who equips is also a saint who has to be equipped by other apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. 
Okay, we are all saints. Now, if we look at this verse from the perspective of the saints, which all of us are, it says the mentors are given to equip us, the saints, for the work of ministry. So the first phrase there, to equip the saints, is us receiving ministry for the work of ministry, and that's us doing ministry, giving ministry. So verse 12 talks about both receiving ministry, being equipped, and giving ministry, doing the work of the ministry, building up the body of Christ. And both giving and receiving ministry are essential in order to grow to maturity. It's not one or the other, it's both. Um, now George read that scripture in Matthew 10, where it says, it talks about the ministry, go and heal you know, drive out demons, all that kind of stuff. Freely you have received, freely give. And, and the reality is you can only freely give what you have first freely received. So I'm not saying that you mustn't receive ministry. Receiving ministry is essential. You can only give what you have first received. You can only give as much as you have received so that receiving is one of the most unselfish things that you can do. Because the more you receive, the more you have to give. Right? But then in Acts 20 verse 35, it also says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Freely you have received, freely give, but it's more blessed to give than to receive. Think about the best gift you've ever received. I know what Arki is thinking about. He just got engaged. So I know what he's thinking about. But, but you guys, all of you, think about the best gift you've ever received. The thing that really blew your mind. That's like a wow. Are you thinking of it? Are you thinking of that gift? How did receiving that gift make you feel? How did it make you feel? You probably felt quite blessed, right? Well, God, Jesus is saying in that verse, in Acts 20 verse 25, giving is even more blessed than that. You might not always feel it, but giving is actually more blessed than receiving like that. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And the reality, the reality is, most of us in our heads think, not a chance. <laughs> I would much rather receive a present than give a present. I would much rather receive money than give money. I would much rather receive a back rub than give a back rub. But to our neighbor, we say, yes, yes, to give is more blessed than to receive. Jesus said it, it must be so, it must be true, it's, yeah, it's sharp. But in our hearts, often we like, how on earth can that be? You know, how can giving be more, receive, more blessed than receiving? Now, just notice what, first, I think, maybe I should just answer it in this way. Firstly, you've got to ask yourself, what does blessed mean? I'm just going to read you a verse, you don't have to go there with me, it's in, it's in Numbers 6 from verse 22 to 27 it's the well-known ironic blessing it says the lord said to uh, the lord spoke to moses saying speak to aaron and his sons the priests saying thus you shall bless the people of israel you shall say to them the lord bless you and keep you so in other words all blessing ultimately comes from god it might have a human agent it might be Abraham, Aaron blessing israel lifting up his hand and blessing him and say the lord but when he blesses them he says the lord bless you any true blessing might come through a human agent, but it always comes from God. It always comes from the Lord. So blessing is something that comes from the Lord. Okay, And then he, he says the same thing in different words. It's, it's, it's that parallelism again, like we saw in Ephesians 4 as well. He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord, you know, the Lord's blessing is what keeps you. Okay, The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. So God blessing you is God making his face shine on you. God blessing you is God being gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And as the Lord blessing you is him lifting up his countenance upon you and smiling upon you. The Lord blessing you is the Lord giving you peace. It says in verse 27, So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. And as God blessing you is God putting his name upon you. His stamp of, of approval on you. That is blessing. So when, when it says it's more blessed to give than to receive, it doesn't mean necessarily that it feels better to give than to receive. 
It just means that there's something in the background, you might, something supernatural that God is doing that you might not even be aware of. That's what blessed means. But, but, but listen here. Jesus, when he says it's more blessed to give than to receive, he's not saying it's not blessed to receive, but it is blessed to give. That's not what he's saying. Notice that little word more. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, if I say, Kieran's car is more expensive than Jan George's. I'm not saying that Jan George's car is cheap. I'm actually saying it's expensive. I'm just saying Kieran's car is more expensive. Right? Can you see that? So when Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive, he's actually saying to receive is blessed, but to give is more blessed. Can you see that? It's more blessed. We need to give. In other words, there's something supernatural, God making his face shine upon us, being gracious to us, that he can only do to the extent he wants to when we give. He also does it when we receive, but he can only do it to the extent he really wants to do it when we also give. Because it's more blessed to give than to receive. There's an old um, analogy about the, um, in the promised land you have the, the now I can't remember the river's name. <laughs> River, the Jordan River, there we go, in which John the Baptist baptized people. So the Jordan River flowing down into the Sea of Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus spent a lot of his ministry and where the... Um, we called his first disciples, Peter and, and, and Andrew and James and John. They were fishermen in the Sea of Tiberias. Why were they fishermen there? Because there was actually fish, right? But that same water that flows with the Jordan into the Sea of Galilee flows out through the Jordan into the Dead Sea. There are no fishermen at the Dead Sea. Because there are no fish at the Dead Sea. Because it's the Dead Sea. And, and that's weird because it's the same water that flows through the Jordan into the Sea of Galilee and then out of the Sea of Galilee and with the Jordan down into the Dead Sea. Exactly the same water. So why is there fish in the one and, and no fish in the other one? Why is there life in the one and only death in the other one? What's the difference? It's the same water. What's the difference? Outflow. The Sea of Galilee has an inflow and an outflow. The Dead Sea only has an inflow, no outflow. And that's why it's dead. And so will you be unless you have an outflow. To be alive spiritually means that you need both an inflow and outflow like the Sea of Galilee. If you only have an inflow, if you only receive ministry and you don't ever give ministry, then you're like the Dead Sea. You become stagnant. You die. There's no life in you. And you've got to ask yourself, do I want to be like the... The, the Dead Sea around my family? Where, the, where there's nothing, no real life for me to impart to them? Do I want to be a, like the Dead Sea around my colleagues and my friends? Or do I want to be like the Sea of Galilee? Do I want to have life that they can actually feed on and no, be nourished from? Another, another example that I like to use. <clears throat> Who of you think that breathing in is blessed? Who of you like breathing in? Who of you do it from time to time? <laughs> Okay, I want, you to do, I want you to do an exercise. I want you to breathe in. Don't breathe out. Only breathe in. Okay? Breathe in. You can breathe in as much as you like, but don't breathe out. Just breathe in. It's blessed, right? Feels good. You breathe in more. You know, don't hold back, you know? <laughs> You're welcome to breathe in. As a, can you see the point? If you only breathe in without breathing out, you'll suffocate. In fact, breathing in is only blessed if you can also breathe out. Hello? Receiving ministry is only blessed if you can also give ministry. Otherwise you'll die. So in other words, there's a balance between giving and receiving. But in that balance, giving is more blessed. Right? Okay, I'm almost done. Sorry, I'm going a bit over time. Is that alright? I, I, I think this is important, so I really just want to drive it home. Let, let me just... Um, Read you the end of that verse, just to confirm it. It says, instead, speaking the truth in love. What's that? Ministry, right? We will, in all things, grow up. What's that? Maturity. Into him who is the head, that is Christ. In other words, it's by speaking the truth in love. It's by ministering that we grow up, that we reach maturity. 
From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part does its work. We, the body, need each of us to do our work. If you're not doing your part in the ministry, then we as a whole, as the body of Christ, are not growing as we should. As each part does its work, we grow and we build ourselves up in love. Okay, the third and last misconception is the feel-good myth. Let me just bring up that screen. I, I exercised once, but I found I was allergic to it. My skin flushed and my heart raced. I got sweaty and short of breath. Very dangerous. I'm allergic to exercise. No, and um, the feel-good myth says, if it doesn't feel good to me, it cannot be good for me. Listen to that. Listen to this very carefully. If it doesn't feel good to me, it cannot be good for me. And the world tells us this lie over and over and over again. It must feel good, otherwise it must be bad for you. Suffering can never be good. Spanking a child can never be good because it doesn't feel good. Having people disagree you, you cannot be good for you because it doesn't feel good. And the underlying premise and misconception is that if it doesn't feel good to me, it cannot be good for me. And it's a lie. It's not true. We are mentored in order to do ministry until we attain maturity. And that maturity looks like Jesus. And if the result, the maturity looks like Jesus, then the process, the ministry must be Christ-like too. Okay? And, you know, ministry cannot, realistically, ministry cannot be comfortable because almost none of us grow optimally in a comfort zone. If you want to get fit, if you want to grow in your fitness, you have to push. You can ask any athlete. You have to push yourself beyond your comfort zone. If you're just jogging you know, at a pace that you feel comfortable with, you'll never really grow in your fitness. You might maintain it, but you'll never really grow in it. You've got to push yourself beyond your comfort zone in order to grow in fitness. And it's the same in ministry. You've got to push yourself beyond your comfort zone to grow in maturity through ministry. Just because you find, it, uh, find ministry difficult and inconvenient doesn't mean that you're allergic to it. Like that picture. Oh, I exercised once. It was terrible. It was a, not a, a very pleasant experience. You know, I must be allergic to it. You're not allergic to ministry. Ministry is supposed to be difficult. It's supposed to be challenging sometimes. It's supposed to be uncomfortable sometimes. Uh, Philippians 2 verse 17, Paul talks about uh, ministry as... The, the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. The sacrifice, that's in, in Philippians 2 verse 17. The sacrifice and service coming from your faith. And that makes sense because that's exactly the way Jesus ministered. He did those two things. He sacrificed and, he's, and he did service. In fact, in Mark 10 verse 45, he says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Sacrifice. Those are the two things that he came to do. He came to serve and he came to sacrifice. And what makes us think that our ministry should be any different? And what makes us think that our ministry should be any more comfortable than his was? If we're truly ministering in obedience and in imitation to our master, Jesus Christ, then our ministry will feel like he's felt. And he's felt like service and like sacrifice. He's very often felt very uncomfortable. It's not like he was allergic to ministry. That's the way ministry feels. It doesn't have to feel good to you to be good for you. Or good for the people that you're ministering to. Okay. So like exercise, ministry is not just a necessary evil. If you approach exercise just like a necessary evil, I have to do this, you know, to be healthy. To be, it'll never, you, you'll never get the most out of it. You've got to make that mind shift and say, this is good for me. And I want to find a way to enjoy that which is good for me. And, and you know what? Eventually you do. As you become more and more fit, you do actually start more and more enjoying the ministry. Not only the fruit of the, 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 the exercise, not only the fruit of the exercise, and the same with ministry. So, 
God's building you and God's building through you is one and the very same thing. It's a ministry. The way God builds you personally up to grow in maturity and the way God builds through you to build others up into maturity is one and the same thing. It's ministry. Giving and receiving ministry. Okay. So, in conclusion. Yay. (laughs) Finally. (laughs) Okay, three just three conclusions based on those three misconceptions. Waiting until you're mature enough before you start ministering is like waiting until you're fit enough before you start exercising. It doesn't make sense. We need to make that mind shift. Secondly, you cannot outsource your ministry any more than you can outsource your exercise. All of us, every member is a minister. Every single one of us should minister. Do the work of the ministry all the time. Every single one of us. You know, just think about it this way. You know, as parents, it's not good enough you know, for, for us to minister to our children. Our children need to see us minister to other people if they're going to grow in maturity. Just to give you an example, you know, if you live in, in a family and, 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 and you're constantly ministering to each other but you're not ministering together outside of your family, you'll never grow into the maturity that God wants you to minister to. God's called us to that service and that sacrifice. Okay, and then thirdly, ministry doesn't have to feel good to you in order to be good for you. And those are three of the biggest myths that prevent every member from being a minister. Right? So I just want to um, challenge you with that and encourage you with that. Let's, let's really make this mindship and this shift in our culture as a church to where every minister, and not just every mature minister, but every member, not every mature member, but every member is a minister. So just a few questions that you can discuss. I'm just going to read through them. You can discuss them in the small group on on Wednesday, whenever you meet. Which myths have been preventing you from ministering optimally? What steps can you take to balance your giving and receiving of ministry? And where would you like to minister more this year? Next Next week we're going to have our Activate Sunday. And I want to encourage you, pray about it this week. As we fast and pray together... You know, pray for, for, for us as a church. Pray for, for the Shofar movement. But also pray about, God, where do you want me to minister in this church? What is the contribution you have graced me to make in this? And talk to us. I mean, we realize that, that as leaders, I mean, we live in a culture, even a church culture, where we don't always as leaders create enough space for you as members to minister. Guilty as charged. We acknowledge that. I, I admit that freely. But help me help you (laughs) help me help you talk to me tell me talk to us tell us where god has you feel god's burning you know calling on your life and where god has called you to minister and sometimes we're going to say to you yes go for it sometimes we're going to say to you no not now because there's somewhere else that we, we, we 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 believe god wants you to minister first i mean from the beginning King David was called to be the king of Israel. But first he had to be a shepherd boy. From the beginning he was called to slay Goliath. But first he had to slay the lion and the bear. So sometimes in order to get to where God, God's passion is in your heart, you first have to go by a way that you're maybe not so passionate about. You have to serve and sacrifice in areas that are more uncomfortable. So you can, you know, that, that, that's your, so you can grow into the ultimate ministry. So there's maybe a preliminary ministry. So there are all of those things as well. And I also just want to <clears throat> say, obviously this is a very deep and, and complicated and, and there's, there's a lot more to, to it than I shared this morning. I, I was just sharing the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot more. This is, and I might not have shared everything completely in balance. If I haven't, please forgive me. You know, take it in the context that I have shared it. But I, I really believe that this is a conversation that we need to seriously start with one another, to make sure that every member is a minister is not just a nice thing we say, but it's something we live every day, all the time, all of us, where every disciple makes disciples. We need to. We're not working properly as the church if we don't. Let's pray together for that. Let's strive together for that. Let's have the, 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 the conversations we need to have in order to do that. Let's, let's start doing it already. Let's embrace the messiness that it will inevitably bring. Let's take the risks that it inevitably involves. But it will be so worth it. 
I don't think revival is going to happen any other way. I don't think the kingdom of God is going to come any other way, right? Father God, we just want to thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that your word is not just, Lord, dead instructions and rules and laws and whatever, Lord, but that it's living a living word, that, it, that, they are, that your words are seeds that are planted in our hearts. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll come and water those seeds and come and cause those seeds to bear fruit. 30, 60, 100 fold to the glory of your name. We, we pray that we'll be a community that constantly lives out of your grace that receives grace from you and that extends grace to one another so that we can afford to be a messy community where things go wrong and where where imperfect and immature people can learn and grow. Help us to be such a family. Help us to be such a community. Help us, Holy Spirit. We cannot do it by ourselves. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.